I tell you, friends, I love it when kids try to sing with us. They just don't know the words. They do the best they can to sing. Lord, send your light, send your spirit. Fill this nation and fill this land, but reach the nations with the truth of the gospel. Would you open your scripture to the book of Acts, chapter 16? We'll be reading from verse 1 through verse 10. If you did not bring your Bible with you to church this morning, we encourage you to find a Bible provided in the chair in front of you. You may find this passage on page number 924. And uh, as you are turning there, I want to remind you that we are going through a series of sermons through the book of Acts. We're taking one passage, one, uh, one text at a time. I think this sermon today will be the 35th sermon in the series and um, I pray that it will be useful for us this morning as we are considering how Paul um, has a number of sensitivities in spreading the gospel. Sensitivities in spreading the gospel. I know the word sensitivity is, uh, we like it. We like people to be sensitive, don't we? We like people to be sensitive to our needs, to be sensitive to our circumstances, we're going to see a number of sensitivities that Paul has in this passage. They're not easy sensitivities for those who have to pay the price. So let's hear the word of the Lord this morning for our hearts. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer, asking the Lord to speak to us through this word. O oh Lord, I confess that nothing of what my human fleshly lips will say, nothing has a power to change us, except that if we hear from you, your truth, by your Spirit, 
So we ask, O oh Lord, would you use the word that has been read in our hearing? Would you use the words that I will say so that it is you who might speak to our hearts this morning? So that your people might be edified and strengthened in the faith? So that lost people who do not yet know the gospel, who do not yet embrace the gospel, may be confronted by your call for them so that more believers would come to know Christ, more would come to become believers, and your church would be strengthened. I pray this in the name of Christ, for his glory and honor, through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Sensitivities. Sensitivities. Do you like when people are sensitive to you? When people notice your needs, when people notice your talents, do you like it? We do. Do you like it when people are sensitive about they go about sharing the gospel? Winsomely, and yet without compromising it, without lowering the truth of the gospel, and yet they are able to say it in a, in a clear, faithful way, and yet winsome way. This, uh, this past week, in our deacons meetings, um, we, this year we've been reading through a book called um, The Marks of the Messenger, or Marks of the Messenger by, um, by Max Stiles. And in, one of, in the chapter we read this week, uh, Mac was giving this story about how he was invited to speak at, or to just to participate at a at a banquet, it was a very a, quite a lavish banquet. And around the table, people were speaking about all kinds of things. And at one point, a conversation turned to to things about religious matters. And at one point, one of the men at the table turned to Mac, and and he's in a Muslim context. And uh, he said, "Mac, what do you think? What do you think about this stuff?" And I like the way Mac, uh, Mac uh, transitioned. He said, well, I, I don't like to kiss on a first date. But here's the truth that God revealed to us. And he went on and gave a short but, but powerful testimony of the gospel, making the gospel clear around that table to people who, who were not really asking for that, but they got it anyway, and they got it winsomely. Being sensitive to the gospel, being sensitive to spreading the gospel, we, we like when, when it's done well. Well, this morning, I want us to look at this passage, how Paul and his new companion, uh, Silas, went around from church to church and uh, tried to preach the gospel, strengthen the believers. This passage is really, there's two parts to this passage. On one side, the visiting of existing churches and Paul strengthening them. But then also, uh, and that happens in verse 1 through 5, but then also from verses 6 through 10, we read about how Paul gets redirected by God's Spirit to go into uncharted territories to spread the gospel. And we, we read about how uh, this is being done. What is this story about? We, we notice that in both in both sections, verses 1 through 5 and 6 through 10, there is an aim of, of desiring to spread the gospel. 
where, whether it's in churches where believers are already, already congregating or it's in uncharted territories. But in this desire to spread the gospel, we see, we see in Paul several sensitivities. And I've entitled my message, Sensitivities in Spreading the Gospel. I want to highlight three this morning for us. And here's the first one. Sensitive to new spiritual leaders. Sensitive to new spiritual leaders. Um, Paul is recruiting new help when he gets to uh, Derby and Lystra. Look at verse 1. We are told that in Derby and Lystra, Paul found a disciple, a disciple named Timothy. Now, just to review, Lystra. If you've been with us uh, earlier in the book of Acts, uh, you may remember, if you haven't been with us, here's what it, it's about. Lystra was the place where when Paul started preaching and trying to stop the people of Lystra from worshiping false idols, Paul gets stoned. It was a pretty unusual entrance into the city. Next day, he moves on to Derby, keeps preaching the gospel. Well, apparently in that trip, or perhaps in the other when he went back to revisit Derby and Lystra, apparently a group of believers started forming. Apparently, people came to know the gospel in these two cities. So much so that by the time we get here to Acts 16, we find out that in Lystra and Derby there was a particular disciple called Timothy. Now, it's possible that Timothy came to know the Lord through one of Paul's previous trips to these cities. We know this because um, elsewhere... Paul will call Timothy my true child in the faith. Now imagine this convert, Timothy, came to grow in the faith in such a way and to the point where his discipleship was, was noticed by all believers. Look at what, what verse 2 says about Timothy. He was well spoken by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Iconium was a city from where Jews came to Lystra to stone Paul. You know, it's all wrapped together. It's all one, one region there. Well, this time, brothers in Iconium and brothers in Lystra know so much about Timothy's discipleship and following of Jesus that they're able to speak well about Timothy. How, how do we, what do we know about what exactly they speak well about Timothy? Well, Timothy's reputation was not simply that he was a nice guy or that he was a handsome guy. That, you know, that's not the kind of things they were talking about. They were most likely were talking about spiritual things about Timothy. How do we know this? Well, even Paul, shortly after this time, he will go to Philippi, and after he leaves from Philippi, he will send them a letter. And in the first letter that he writes to the Philippian church, the only letter we know, um, he says, Paul says the following about Timothy in Philippians 2.20. For I have no one like him referring to Timothy, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How, as a son with a father, he, was, he has served with me in the gospel. Did you hear how Paul is able to speak about Timothy? What a recommendation. And this happens not, after, not a long time after this moment in Acts 16. 
some of these characteristics must have been also present in Lystra and Iconium. These characteristics didn't develop in Timothy overnight. These were present so that in Lystra and Iconium, people saw Timothy's discipleship. His spirituality, his spiritual life was evidenced. It was evidenced by concern for people, not for his own interests. And by the way, Timothy's concern for people was not just, you know, the kind of social friendliness that we can have or that non-Christians can have, you know, just people who are socially friendly. That's not the kind of friendliness and, and interest that Timothy showed. The passage, passage tells us that Timothy's interests were wrapped around the interests of Christ. So that when he was nice to people, when he was trying to serve people, he was actually pursuing the interests of Christ in helping other people. It's like, you know, I want to I help people so that I bring into their lives the interests of Christ. So that I help them with the interests of Christ. Because so many of us, so often, we get sidetracked with our own interests. And it's helpful to have someone around us who cares for us and helps us in bringing in our lives the interests of Christ. This is Timothy. He was seeking the interest of Christ as he was ministering to others. So what does Paul do? He decides to take him. He decides to recruit him. It's interesting, Paul is not just waiting for Timothy to have a, um, what do you call it, a surrender to missions or surrender to ministry kind of calling. No, I can just imagine Paul, he, he, he hears about this young man who is living such a conspicuous life. And Paul says, I need you to be on my team. I need you to travel with me. There's a sense in which Paul is taking the initiative to encourage Timothy and bring him on so that Timothy can learn from Paul, so that Timothy can grow in this work of the gospel. This uh, recruitment is also encouraging, especially since we remember that uh, Paul turned down John Mark. Paul is not a lone ranger, hard-headed missionary. Paul is interested and willing to invest in younger assistants. He was not afraid to take on younger potential with him and to assist him in the journey. Friends, church leaders are oftentimes called to do this work, to be deliberate in investing and finding Men in the congregation whom the Lord might call to equip for the ministry. In, in some cases, it might be for vocational ministry. In other cases, it might be for non-vocational ministry. To serve as lay elders in a particular church. Now, I, I am not encouraging men to be seeking for titles. That's not what it's about. But here's what I am very clearly encouraging and, and wanting to encourage our men to do. I want to encourage the men of this congregation to live such lives that if the church were to call them to serve as elders or as deacons, that your lives would commend that calling. To live in such a way that should the church at any point feel God's lead to call you to lead spiritually in some way, the 
you would live, live the kind of life that qualifies you for that calling. Men, live in such a way that nothing would disqualify your life from serving as elders. Live in such a way that others can speak well of you spiritually. Live in such a way that others can see in you a desire to serve others with the interests of Christ. Each of us who are members of this congregation, there's something we can do, each of us. We should be constantly looking for new, upcoming spiritual leaders among us. And if you don't see any, get on your knees and pray and ask God to do that. But friends, I look around and I already see some. There's, the Lord has blessed us with, with upcoming spiritual leaders who are, who are growing in, in the faith and in their concern for other members of this congregation. And I praise God for them. And I pray that you would also be on the lookout for them. Encourage them. And when you see men live out and grow in, in being more interested with the interests of Christ, encourage that. Celebrate that. Speak well about them to others and speak to them as well so that they might grow to be spiritual leaders whom you can trust and submit to. Paul was sensitive to sp new spiritual leaders. He was able to identify them, in this case, Timothy. A second sensitivity we see in Paul is that he was sensitive to cultural obstacles in evangelism. He was sensitive to cultural obstacles in evangelism. So he recruits Timothy. Here's a good report about him. But this new assistant, this new recruit had a problem. He was not circumcised. So Paul chooses to circumcise him. Wow. How do you apply this passage to us? And what does this mean for us? Does that mean we should circumcise new spiritual potential in our church? Well, that might just kill every potential spiritual leader in our church. Is that, no, that's all right. I'll find another church. Um, the Lord is calling me somewhere else. Is that what we're supposed to do? What does this mean? Well, let's look at the context. What's going on? First of all, this decision by Paul appears troublesome, especially if we remember what happened in chapter 15, um, where the church in Jerusalem decided that circumcision was not going to be a condition for being saved. If we look in our own passage that we read in verse 4, Paul and Silas and the new recruit are traveling to, new, uh, to various cities, and what do they do? They read what the Jerusalem council had decided. Look at verse 4. They delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. Wow. So, so how can Paul decide to circumcise Timothy when in chapter 15 we have the Jerusalem council, then in chapter 16, verse 4, after this event, they keep going and keep preaching that circumcision is not a requirement for salvation. Why circumcise Timothy? Is Paul inconsistent so quickly? Is Paul um, fallen? Has he fallen in the trap of being double-minded? The answer is no, not at all. And here's why. Paul chose to act this way, not 
because he was inconsistent, but because he was sensitive to cultural obstacles in evangelizing among the Jews in that area. See, how, how do we know that? Well, look at verse 3. There are two reasons. There are, there are two explanations. First one is, look at verse 3. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because. Because why? Because of the Jews who were in those places. That's the first reason. The second reason is, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. In other words, the decision to circumcise Timothy was because of the Jews in those places. And by the way, this refers not to believing Jews, but to non-believing Jews. In the Jerusalem council, uh, where the pressure was to circumcise the Gentiles or to make the Gentiles be circumcised if they want to be saved, that pressure came from the believing Jews who were part of the Pharisees. It came from the believing Jews. But in this passage, the Jews that Paul has in mind is not the believing Jews. It's the non-believing Jews. For them, Timothy's situation was not a very happy situation. His family situation brought more embarrassment than, than acceptance. But first of all, they all knew that his father was a Greek. Timothy was a child of a mixed marriage between a Jewish woman and a Gentile. In the Old Testament, this was a big no-no. Big, big no-no. Not only that, Timothy's mom, her name was Eunice, which was a, Greek, a name quite, quite common in Greek mythology. So Eunice's mother or parents gave her a Greek name, even though she was a Jew. So there's been a tradition in this family of, of mixing or playing with the, with the non-Jewish cultural elements. And Jews, at least Orthodox Jews, faithful Jews, found that an obstacle. More so, Timothy, not only he came from a mixed marriage, but he was uncircumcised. Now, to, to the Jews, and by Jewish standards, Timothy was an apostate. He lacked the sign that was most clearly identifying a male to be a Jew. Circumcision. So Paul wants Timothy to get him circumcised, to get circumcised, in order to clarify his Jewish connections so that Timothy might be well received among the Jewish community. So that Timothy would not put up unneeded obstacles as Paul and Timothy and Silas were going to minister, minister not just to Gentiles but also to Jews as well. It's interesting to compare why is it that when Paul was forced to, to circumcise Titus, Paul chose against circumcising Titus. And yet he chose to circumcise uh, Timothy. Well, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 3 to 5, we read the following. You don't have to turn there, just listen. Paul writes about the time when T uh, Titus's circumcision uh, was on the line. And he, Paul says, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet, because of the false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment 
so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. You see, in the case of Titus, Paul refused to get him circumcised because Titus was a Greek. More importantly, because the false brothers were making circumcision as a condition of salvation. But none of these elements were true in the case of Paul and Timothy. So, Paul is not inconsistent in circumcising Timothy. I love what Eckhart Schnabel says about this passage. Paul did not circumcise here a Gentile believer whose salvation he regarded as incomplete. No. But a Christian whose ethnic social status was ambiguous. And Paul wanted to clarify it. So why does, why does Luke give us this event? Would it be nice if Luke would have just skipped this detail? He would have saved so much ink that was spilt over this matter. I mean, there are theologians that say this passage was not inspired. This is not possible for Paul to do. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of arguments. How is it that Paul could have done this? You know, Luke could have just skipped that detail nicely. Nobody would have known today. And yet, he doesn't. Why? Why is this detail given? Well, I think there's at least two reasons why Luke cho chooses to include this detail in this, in this writing. First, it tells us that the church did not close the door to Jewish Christians. The church did not close the door to Jewish Christians. Paul did not mind Jewish children to be circumcised as long as it did not have any salvific meaning. As long as it was neither a means of salvation nor a sign of being part of the people of God. As long as it did not have either a value of, of, of a means for salvation or of, of a of a sign of salvation, Paul will write to the church in Corinth. He says, circumcision is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Interesting. How do we know today if someone belongs to the people of God? In the Old Testament, it meant male, you had to be circumcised. Today, praise God, that's no longer the case. Aren't you glad for that? How do we know today that we belong to the people of God? Definitely it's not a sign of circumcision. But it is the obedience that comes from faith in the gospel. That's a sign of those who belong to the people of God. Now, we do not become saved. We do not enter the people of God because we get circumcised or because we obey God. Neither circumcision nor obedience are an entry way into the kingdom of God. And yet, obedience is a sign of being a part of the people of God. So, as long as circumcision was neither a means of salvation nor a sign of salvation, Paul was free to live like a Jew. He was able to encourage believing Jews to continue in their cultural traditions as long as they had no salvific significance because salvation is only through Jesus. If this was clear, then Paul had the freedom to continue to live like a Jew. And the second reason um, 
Paul or Luke gives us for including this passage here is to show us that Paul indeed was willing to overcome cultural barriers for the sake of the gospel. Paul was willing and sensitive to overcome cultural barriers for the sake of the gospel. If there are cultural barriers that we can take down for the sake of spreading the gospel without compromising biblical truth, we should have the freedom to do so and we should desire to do so. Now, there's a warning I need to give you. In the desire to take down barriers for the gospel, we must be careful that in this desire, we don't fall in the trap of actually dropping biblical truth for the sake of seeing more people become religious. I am uh, currently reading a very interesting book uh, entitled Evangelicalism Divided. It tells a sad story of how uh, from the 1950s to 2000, evangelical leaders have often fallen in the trap of compromising the truth of God for the sake of finding more acceptance among non-believers or among other denominations that have dropped the gospel. And um, in the process of seeking more acceptance or seeking to reach the lost, such leaders have actually fallen in the trap of losing the exclusivity of Christ or the sufficiency of Christ for salvation. One major evangelical leader said once in an interview many years ago, I used to believe that pagans in far-off countries were lost, were going to hell if they did not have the gospel of Jesus preached to them. I no longer believe that. How sad. How sad for a major evangelical leader to say that especially when contrasted with what Paul wrote in Romans 10:14 how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard and how can they hear without someone preaching to them but in the case of Paul and Timothy taking down a barrier for the gospel meant doing something that was painful even though not crucial for being a Christian it wasn't about dumbing down the gospel he was actually doing something very, very, very uncomfortable. Getting circumcised. And yet Paul encouraged Timothy to do it, even though it was not necessary for salvation. Friends, such taking down of barriers is not about dumbing down or making the gospel superficial, nor about compromising. It's rather about putting aside our freedom in Christ and getting us to do things we would not normally do so that we could associate more easily with people we want to reach. Now, what does this mean? Missionaries who go overseas oftentimes hit this um, quite often. They are taught to be ready to give up actions which they would normally do in America, but in a different culture they would be taught not to do for the sake of not insulting the new culture or people in that culture. Or they will be taught to be ready to adopt new patterns of life that are more accepted in the new culture. What this means, friend, is that for us who live here, is that we, even though we might not be transposed or, or moved, relocated to a different culture, it does have implications for us as we live daily life. Here's a question I would encourage you to consider. Do you live life 
with a humble attitude and willingness to inconvenience yourself for the sake of being able to relate to those you seek to reach. Do you seek to inconvenience yourself so that you can be in a better position to reach those you're seeking to get to for the sake of Christ? Or here's another way to put it. Is your attitude prideful about your freedom in Christ? Do you use your freedom in Christ as a sort of entitlement or as a sort of excuse so you don't have to do things you don't want to do? Because now you're a Christian. Paul's sensitivity to cultural obstacles in evangelism led him to ask Timothy to do a painful act to get circumcised. None of us will ever be asked to do this. But are there ways you can inconvenience yourself in order to relate better to the lost? Be sensitive to obstacles in spreading the gospel. Third point that we see is sensitive to God's leading. Sensitive to God's leading. When we get to verse 6, we read that as they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Rather surprising. All around in Acts, we have seen the Spirit moving, encouraging, prompting, giving power to speak. This time, the Spirit is forbidding. And then we, we get the same uh, again in verse 7. As they attempted to go to Bithynia, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Another shut door. It's interesting that in, in the second pro prohibition, it's the Spirit of Jesus. Now, are they, are they two different spirits? One's a Holy Spirit and the other the Spirit of Jesus? No, it's, it's really referring to the same, the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit, only this time... It uses this expression, the Spirit of Jesus, because as in Acts 1, it was the Spirit, it was Jesus who sent the Holy Spirit to accomplish the work that Jesus began. So that even through the work of, of, the, of the apostles, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is sent by Jesus and sent by God to accomplish the plan of God. This time, this time, God's plan was to oppose missionary work, at least until we get to chapter uh, to verse 9. Why did God shut the door? Well, in verse 9, we find out why. Because there's a man in Macedonia who appeared in a vision in Paul's dream, said, come over to Macedonia and help us. This is why. God was actually intending for this missionary team to go not to Asia, not to Bithynia, but to Macedonia. What's a big deal about Macedonia? Some make a big deal that it is the, the step of the gospel reaching into Europe. Big deal. Well, the only problem with that excitement is that Europe at that time wasn't defined in this way. So it's a bit anachronistic. And yet, there is excitement in the fact that God chose to take the gospel to a place that was cross-boundaries cross-geographical and ethnic uh, regions. This tells us that just as in Acts 15, where, where God visited the Gentiles in order to take a people from among the nations for his name, 
God is doing the same here. He's, he's wanting the gospel not to stay just in a particular area. He wants the gospel to go in new territories, in new areas. Sometimes I hear people say or ask, why do we have to spend money and send people overseas when uh, there are so many lost people right here, right around us? Have you heard that complaint? Well, there is some truth in that complaint. There is something very valid in that. And it's this. If we fail to reach the lost around us, why would we think that we would be more effective in reaching the lost thousands of miles away? In other words, we should start here. We should be trying to reach here. But that does not mean that we should limit our reach only to our own region, no matter how many lost people there are around us. Friends, just think for a moment. When Paul wanted to go in Asia and Bithynia, there were many lost people there too. And yet God's Spirit said, No, I need you to go now to a different place, to a new territory. What does this mean for us? Should we do nothing until we get a clear sense of what God wants us to do? No. Because God has already given us a clear sense of what we should do. We should be busy preaching the gospel here in Austin. That we should do very clearly. That's why we're seeking to do this open house uh, Christmas gathering or Christmas open house uh, gatherings throughout the city. We want to challenge you as members of the congregation, open up your homes. Be busy. Be intentional about making the gospel clear to those around us. Now, if God chooses to call some of us to go overseas and, or do some different things, we want to be ready and support that. An example, Sam and, and Diane this week will be going to Romania. We want to, as a church, we want to encourage them with prayer, with finances, so they can do the work God has called them and called us as a, as a church to contribute in assisting the believers in Romania. I pray that God may call different people from our congregation to be doing more of that. I pray that that call would be clear, and I pray that as a church, we would be ready to do it, to support it. As a congregation, we support um, the IMB missionaries, missionaries to the International Mission Board, who labor with the gospel in various nations uh, throughout the earth. We uh, will have a, a love offering in December for that. We also support the, the work through uh, Philip and Catherine Van Steenberg in Dubai. We want as a church to be doing those kind of things. And I pray that the Lord will continue to make us ready and call some among us to be doing that kind of work. But as we remain open for that, all of us, I mean all of us, must be laboring for the gospel here in Austin. Not just to do church busy work, but to be laboring with the gospel here in Austin. If you're not doing it here, why would we think you can do it in a different place? That's a, that's a good principle to go by. Now, look at verse 10. When Paul has seen the vision, immediately, verse 10 says, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. 
I have a question. If you were the recipient of this vision at this, at this point, as, as Paul received it, and you saw this man of Macedonia appear to you and say, come over in Macedonia and help, what would you conclude? Let's, um, let's, let's give some financial support, or let's, uh, let's give some uh, economic support, or man, let's give some social support, or let's provide some, some you know, go and, and, I don't know, build wells uh, so they can have water, or, uh, you know, any kind of social needs that they could address. But that's not what Paul gets. When they get the call of help, what do they interpret? What do they get out of it? That God is calling them to preach the gospel. Oh, oh, if we could connect the dots, just like Paul and his team were able to connect the dots. That when people call for help, the greatest help we can give them is the gospel of Jesus, if they don't know it. Yes, we might be able to give other help as well. Yes, we might be able to provide financial help, especially because God has given us so much here in this country. Yes, we might be able to provide social help, but friends, at the end of the day, if those whom we are helping do not know the hope of the gospel, the greatest help that we can ever give them, the more eternal help we can give them is the gospel. Those who preach the gospel are providing God's greatest help to people. Sometimes we have opportunities to help people in various ways. And I pray that you would, in very concrete ways, help people who need our help with acts of kindness. But friends, at the end of the day, don't just limit your service to that. Engage in a spiritual conversation. Engage in ways to bring the gospel to that person. When was the last time that after helping someone physically who did not know the gospel, you suggested to provide spiritual help gospel help. Pray that the Lord will give you daily opportunities to help others through the gospel. Members of, of Park Hills, this is why I want to challenge each of you to be clear about the gospel. Know it. If I were to ask you, what is the gospel? Could you give it to me in a minute or two? Could you give it to me quickly, succinctly, and to the point getting what's most important about the gospel, would you be able to say it? So that when God gives us opportunities either to act in kindness to help someone or whatever opportunities God gives us, that we have that gospel on our lips. Friend, do you know the gospel? Have you embraced it? Perhaps you've been in church around Christians for many years, but you still have a hard time knowing this gospel or knowing how to say it. It is a message of God's news of salvation. It's a message of good news that God, who loves us, who created us, is holy and perfect. And despite our rebellion against God, against Him, despite the fact that we deserve His wrath, that we deserve to be separated from God eternally, despite our rebellion in our own hearts, in our own nature, Despite all of that, God still found a way to bring us back to himself through Jesus Christ, his son, his only son, so that through his death and resurrection, we might be brought back to him if only 
we repent of our sin and turn to the Lord Jesus in faith and put our trust in Him for salvation. And call people, we call people through this news to turn to Jesus, to make the step of faith, the step of repentance, of turning away from sin and faith in, unto the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a gospel. Have you heard it before? Have you understood it? Have you embraced it? Have you responded to it? There are people around us who may have heard that now many, many, many times. Every Sunday we try to make it clear at Park Hills. But you've never actually done something to turn around. To turn from your sin, to turn to Jesus. Friends, the gospel says that unless you make that turn, you are still enslaved in your sin. You're still without hope and without a future apart from God. So I pray that today you might consider making the turn, entrusting yourself, trusting yourself in the hands of God, turning away through repentance and faith. I pray that you do that even now, even right now, as you hear these words, as you ask God to, to, to save you. And if you have more questions or if you'd like to know more what to do next, I would love to talk to you about it. I'd love to encourage you to come back next Sunday when we will um, testify here uh, a testimony of someone who has believed the gospel and entrusted the gospel and embraced the gospel. Tyler will uh, share baptism. We will have the joy of baptizing Tyler with Whitney next Sunday because those who embrace the gospel are called to make it public through the act of baptism. Friend, if you've not yet responded to the gospel, I pray that you would today. But for those of us, all of us, be ready to, to share the gospel. Be ready to speak it. Pray for opportunities. Be anticipating such opportunities. At the very least, you can keep with you in your wallet some of the invitation cards that we have provided for you so that you can pass them out and Start a conversation with someone in a, at a grocery line or in a Starbucks or somewhere. Do something. Be ready to have the gospel on your lips. It's an amazing thing when God's people are sensitive, not only to God's direction, but also sensitive to understand what is the greatest help we can give to those whom God calls us to help. Friend, be sensitive to God's leading to give the gospel. So I pray that as a church we would corporately be sensitive to these three things that Paul was sensitive to. Sensitive to new spiritual leaders. Sensitive to cultural obstacles in evangelism without compromising the fundamental truths of the gospel. Sensitive to God's leading. I pray that this would be true of us as a, corp as a church, corporately. And this would be true of you individually and each of us. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit so that no matter what your children are doing, no matter where we are, we're constantly sensitive, sensitive to identifying and seeing spiritual leadership around us, encouraging that to happen, sensitive to crossing over obstacles, cultural obstacles for the gospel, we might be sensitive to your leading to do whatever you call us to do. We pray that as a congregation, you'd be glorified through us through these sensitivities. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.